from South Bend, Indiana, in the shadows of the Golden Dome, Spoke Street Media and Redeemer Radio Sports bring you Notre Dame Federal Credit Union's Irish Sports Saturdays. You already share their values, why not share in their benefits? Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. It's time to get you caught up on all things Irish. Here's John Brock and Angelo DiCarlo. It's Notre Dame versus USC in a top 15 showdown to close out the regular season. After a roller coaster season, the Irish have the opportunity to finish the year, their first year under Marcus Freeman at 9-3, and winners of six in a row, and they can ruin the college football playoff hopes of their arch rival. So a ton on the line at 7.30 p.m. on this Saturday after Thanksgiving when number 15 Notre Dame and number 6 USC square off for the 93rd time. Welcome to Notre Dame Federal Credit Union's Irish Sports Saturdays, Notre Dame FCU, where you bank does matter. I'm Angel DiCarlo, so glad to be with you this morning on Redeemer Radio and Iowa Catholic Radio. Joined, as always, by John Brock. John, if I told you after Notre Dame lost to Marshall and started 0-2, or after they lost to Stanford to drop to 3-3, and that they could be 9-3 and by the end of the season with a win over USC, what would you have said back then? I'd say I, I think you're a little crazier than some of those fans we've had flipping back and forth in the poll this season. <laughs> I, I mean, after that loss to, I mean, th- now 3-8 and eight Stanford, and, and you're looking at Marshall, who's not necessarily a great team, and, you, and then you look at Clemson and, and a good Syracuse team coming up, I, I don't see how 9-3 and three, uh, could be uh, in, in the books for Notre Dame, but somehow they pulled off a fantastic win against Clemson at home and on the road against Syracuse. And here we are looking at a, a top 15 matchup against USC. And then certainly, obviously, they pulled off the the win over Navy and their most complete effort last week. Well, maybe not. Clemson was probably their most complete effort, yeah. I think it's fair to say. But Boston College, they put, the, they put their foot down on an opponent that was inferior to them. And they did not allow that inferior opponent to uh, dictate any shape or form how this game went with a 44 nothing win in the snow at Notre Dame Stadium. And at risk of saying the obvious here, I think that's what Notre Dame fans have been looking for all season. You're looking for them to put away Navy, I mean, to put away uh, Stanford, to put away teams that they haven't and they've sometimes lost to, and you finally got uh, a chance to see that against Boston College. I mean, you got, you had to do it, right? I mean, the, that was the next step in the evolution uh, of, of this program under Marcus Freeman. So on tap on this morning's show, we'll hear from the Irish players on the possibility of going 9-3 and three after the way this season has started. Our Focus on Faith interview, a big one. I chatted with Father Edward Monk Malloy, the President Emeritus of Notre Dame, a wide-ranging interview from his childhood to becoming President at Notre Dame, dealing with crises while he was President, the importance of of football and the coolest place he ever visited over the 90 different countries he's gotten to go to that's all next segment USC has a great quarterback in Caleb Williams and a not so great defense but that defense does force a ton of turnovers we'll break down the whole matchup throughout the show programming note while this will while this is the final game of the regular season, this is also the final Irish Sports Saturdays outside of our bowl special. So we won't have a show next week or really for the next month. We'll be back with you on Saturday, December 31st at 9 a.m. for our bowl special. One other programming note, we're pre-recording here on the Wednesday before uh, Saturday. So if we don't talk about something earth-shattering that happened on Thanksgiving or on Friday, that's why. Pre-recording this week, not only because of Thanksgiving, but because John is heading out to Los Angeles to broadcast the game on Notre Dame Student Radio. John, you've known all season you're going to get to do this game, and it's kind of been all over the place on what you would have expected, and now here it is as a top 15 matchup. I'm sure you're really looking forward to this opportunity. Yeah, it's been an up and down looking at after the first two weeks going, oh, I'm going to go watch Notre Dame get destroyed in, in <laughs> L.A. against USC, but now you know I get to look forward to a uh, top 15 matchup to cap off my time at Notre Dame on student radio, so I'm really looking forward to it. All right, this 93rd meeting between Notre Dame and USC. The Irish are eight and three. USC ten and one. Notre Dame has won eight of the eleven of the last eleven matchups. This is just the third time ever both head coaches are in their first year. Notre Dame won the previous two in 1954 and then 2010. 2010, of course, Brian Kelly over Lane Kiffin, who's kind of been in some news. Uh, Lincoln Riley has done a ridiculously good job at USC, John. Um, they were straight up mediocre. He's really hit the transfer portal hard, getting Caleb Williams and uh, 
you know, a lot of other guys uh, as well to, to come into the mix. Jordan Addison, uh, Blitnikoff winner from a year ago from Pitt, transferring over. Uh, he's done an awesome job, and here's USC on the brink of potentially getting to the playoffs if they can take care of business after a phenomenal win at the last second last week against UCLA. Yeah, and he's done a fantastic job over there. I mean, you, as you said, a mediocre team last year. They have for really uh, for several years. Yeah, too. for several for several years. And and you look at it, and you just see a set of skilled players that is unmatched around the country. And they show that on offense, on defense, they could use a little work. But I mean, they have winners in wide receiver. They had a great running back who got hurt, but another guy stepping in, and they've got depth. They've got ability, and I mean, they've got a college football playoff contending team, and it shows. We spoke to the Irish about facing USC and what it will mean. Linebacker J.D. Bertrand's mom is a USC grad. This will be his first time he gets to play at USC. Remember, 2020, the game was canceled. So, for the most part, a lot of guys didn't get to do that. Meanwhile, cornerback Tariq Bracey knows all about facing USC, as does Irish offense coordinator Tommy Reese. I think the biggest thing is it's just one of those rivalries that you look forward to, like almost all of college football looks forward to. And so for me, it's super cool because I have a lot of family members that live out in the L.A. area. And my mom grew up there. And so just one, the ability to bring my whole family together and have them celebrate Thanksgiving and then come support me at this game. And so just excited to be able to show my skills on the field. Historic game, you know, USC versus Notre Dame doesn't get too much better than this. So, you know, this can be my fourth time playing against Notre Dame. I mean, USC. So, I mean, yeah, it's just another good game, another good challenge. So can't wait. I think our guys get really excited about it. You know, I don't look at it as a challenge as much as, you know, an unbelievable opportunity to go play in a rivalry that's been around for a long time that a lot of great players have played in. Um, to play in a venue like the LA Coliseum, it's pretty special, and our guys will feel that when, in the, when they're in there. It's bizarre to me. We haven't played there since 2018. It just feels weird to not have a bunch of guys here that are used to playing there. So um, we want to make sure they understand what the rivalry is. But at the end of the day, it's we got to go play a football game. You know, when we told him today, when the, when the clock starts, you get in between those lines. It's just like every other one you've played in. You got to do the same things to have success, and you can't emotionally get too caught up in, in where you are. Only ten Notre Dame players on this year's roster were on the 2018 roster that played at USC. So this is going to be a new experience for everybody, and really. Tariq Bracey, who we heard from uh, there in the middle between sandwiched between uh, J.D. Bertrand and Tommy Reese. He's the only one that registered any form of stats back in 2018 when he had three tackles in the game. So this is different because usually everybody going in knows kind of what to expect. You have half the team that has played in the game before. Yeah, it's still that lasting effect of the COVID pandemic. But, you know, this they, as they mentioned, it's a, a big rivalry game. Sometimes I think it can be overlooked in college football, especially by another uh, Week 12 matchup uh, in the Midwest that's a rivalry game. But it's a it's an important one. It's an often ranked one. And as we kind of mentioned, I mean, it's two of the biggest stages in college football. you got the L.A. Coliseum and you got Notre Dame Stadium. And a lot of these guys having not played in the Coliseum adds another factor to it this year. So uh, I think... They'll be out there, and as they said, you get between the lines, it's going to be a great matchup. Meanwhile, Drew Pine, when I asked him, decided to say it was like every other game. That <laughs> I was like, come on, dude, you grew up a Notre Dame fan, and you're telling me it's like every other game. It's like It almost makes you worry that he's trying to convince himself, and then he's going to go out there and not like, you know, Tommy Reese, I think, said it right. It's a big game. It's awesome experience. This matters. But when it comes to actually preparing and playing the game, you just got to prepare like every other game. That part makes sense. Pine not even wanting to acknowledge that this is like a really cool and different game than other games. I was like, that's kind of weird. So we didn't even bother playing this soundbite. Yeah, I hope he's preparing harder, though, because he hasn't necessarily been preparing the best throughout the season. The passing game hasn't quite been there, so maybe he should co take well, a different approach to this one. Well, I don't know if he's not preparing. <laughs> it's just he may not be capable there, that, of that uh, – he may not be performing to that level. It just might be a – capability factor um all right top 15 matchup uh in this one this is the 33rd time of the 93 all-time meetings where both teams are ranked Notre Dame is 17 13 and 2 in the, that time but USC 11 6 and 2 when they're the higher ranked team you know from 1965 to 1980 14 meetings in that 15 year span both teams were ranked been very rare since then uh 
the last time both teams were ranked were 2017, and USC actually didn't turn out to be that good that year. And Notre Dame won 49-14. Last time in L.A. that both teams were ranked was 2006, and USC won by 20, 44-24, when USC was ranked third and Notre Dame was ranked sixth. At sixth. And two really different teams, John, in terms of their strengths. Yeah, and you see it in that it's kind of that West Coast versus Midwest mentality of yeah, football. You see the the in the trenches kind of style of football. Notre Dame, as Marcus Freeman says all the time, you, you've got the offensive and defensive line at the core of the team. And that's what you see in that kind of Midwest Big Ten football, even though Notre Dame's not in the Big Ten. And then the passing threat and the skilled players at USC is as good as anyone's ever seen from a, that West Coast passing style offense. And it's really just that age-old battle between those different styles, and it looks like it's going to play out very well. For for those clamoring for Notre Dame to get a uh, transfer quarterback, uh, USC got the very best one that they could get in Caleb Williams coming with Lincoln Riley from Oklahoma. Uh, he's been sensational, uh, Heisman Trophy contender, one of the nation's best offenses. You know, the defense, that, that can be a liability, but... Again, USC's number one in the nation in turnover margin, turnover margin, an area Notre Dame really struggled with until recently. And like you said, John, though, while they have the skill position players at USC, Notre Dame, Marcus Freeman stressing that O-line, D-line driven. Uh, we asked, or Marcus Freeman was asked Monday, if this is a test to show O-line, D-line driven can win in games against highly skilled opponents. This is what it's going to be for us to have success, um, you know, and what I believe in. And it's not a, in comparison to anybody else. Um, but O-line, D-line driven doesn't just mean run the ball. It doesn't mean just stop the run. But even though I think that's a huge part of why we have success, the ability to stop the run and run the ball. Um, but I think it's a mindset that your best leaders are your biggest guys. You know, I think that's, there's, there's, there's power in that. You know, when your biggest, biggest, physically biggest players are your best leaders, you know, I think that's powerful. And that's why a lot of that, that saying O-line, D-line driven is, is because I want those guys to be our best leaders too um, and know that our success, you know, really relies on the success they have up front on both sides of the ball. And so there's a lot that goes into that saying O-line, D-line driven, um, you know, and I use it in different ways. But for us to have success, our O-line and D-line have to play really, really well on Saturday. I think that's the key. They have to play really, really well, right? Because you can be O-line, D-line driven, but if you don't dominate in the trenches, then you're in trouble because you can't make up for it with the skill position guys. USC can make up for if they have issues. Oh, by the way, their offensive line's, you know up for the Joe Moore award and Notre Dame's offensive line is not. So it's not, they got, de they got some defensive line players that are going to be uh first round draft. So it's not like they aren't O-line and D-line driven too. They just also have uh the Caleb Williams and Jordan Addison's of the world too. Yeah. And it's a very even matchup when you look at it on paper between the offensive and defensive lines on these two teams. The problem is Notre Dame emphasizes that over other things. Well, USC has the skilled players and everything to to support elsewhere. Notre Dame still has that. I mean, there's a great defensive back unit at Notre Dame that we've mm -hmm. seen step up over the last few weeks. And the key for Notre Dame is going to be, as Marcus Freeman pointed out, you know, it's O-line and D-line driven, but that doesn't necessarily mean just stopping the run and, and, and getting the run going. They're going to have to get in pass protection, shorten that passing window, and help out their skilled players. Well, and they got to be able to – they're going to probably have to be able to pass the ball. I just don't know if you're going to get Clemson 2.0 where you run it down USC's throat. If you can, that's huge. That's what you, that's what you need. And if you do that, you're winning the game because you're going to keep the ball away from USC's offense as well. Ultimately, what they kind of need to look to do, it seems simple, but you need to do what you did defensively against Ohio State and, and C.J. Stroud in the first half and do what you did offensively against Clemson. And yes. if you're able to pull that off, you're looking pretty good, but it's easier said than done. Yeah, exactly. All right, Irish Sports Saturdays. Thanks, Notre Dame Federal Credit Union, for underwriting this show. As the largest Catholic-oriented credit union in America, Notre Dame FCU serves the church in many dioceses for 80-plus years. They've put people over profits. NotreDameFCU.com slash elevate. You already share their values. Why not share in their benefits? Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Irish have a chance to play the spoiler here, too. You know, if USC beats Notre Dame, wins the Pac-12 title next week, they almost certainly make the playoff. There is a little room for error where they maybe wouldn't, but that would probably require LSU beating 
Georgia and then TCU winning out and then obviously the Big Ten champion going as well. Um, but the odds, <laughs> of course, Brian Kelly then gets into the playoff if uh, in that situation, maybe, the, uh, or does USC get in anyway, but that would be the scenario. But, you know, Notre Dame wins, you get to ruin your arch rival's chances of making playoff. That's a little extra motivation. I don't know how much of a factor it plays into it, but I still think that's something that's – it's certainly motivation for the fan base. It's definitely motivation for the fan base, and yeah. I think it's motivation, as you heard from Tommy Reese and some of the players. You know, it is a rivalry game looked forward to by people across the country, and that adds to it when you get to play spoiler against a team that you're already a rival with. I, I don't think it gets much better than that. More importantly, I think – there's a big difference between nine and three and eight and four. And you have the opportunity after the way this started, we talked about it at the top of the show, to get to nine and three in year one under Marcus Freeman with a victory, considering that start again, 0 and two and three and three. What would that say about this year's team and the state of the program moving forward? I asked running back Chris Tyree and linebacker JD Bertrand. I think that would be a testimony just to how resilient we are. Um, you know, how close as a brotherhood we are um I feel like you know just being that we started one and two it could be really easy for us to you know um really pull apart as a as a group and um you know try to point fingers but um you know we did the exact opposite came together even even more than we were before and um found a way to be successful for the rest of the season and thank you to the seniors because this has been their year and I mean it's been a building year and so it's been building blocks off of that first start 0 and two and Obviously, that's never something that you'd expect or even we expected. And so it's just a big thank you to them. And, I mean, let's just take it one day at a time and see how this thing goes. Yeah, because if you don't win, you don't get to 9-3, you're 8-4, and four, and then eh, it's okay season under Marcus Freeman. But, you know, you win, you get to 9-3, and, and then you do get the what if, you know, what if you would have taken care of business. And I kind of looked at it in a, uni a different way this week. I was kind of thinking in my way, not just what if you would have what if this was year two under Marcus Freeman and everything else is the same? Then you feel like, no, they're not losing to Marshall and Stanford. Like, you feel like right now they have their act together. He's figured it out in terms of how to push the right buttons, how to prepare his team the right way. So, yes, they may lose to USC, but I don't think it's going to be for the reasons why they've lost other games this year. Yeah, and that's something I think we've kind of said all season is in the the hype that led up to this season under Marcus Freeman people forgot a little bit that he's a first-year coach and that there's going to be bumps along that road and the 0-2 start the loss to Stanford I think we see some of those bumps and I think you're right you look at this as a second-year coach and you very different lens to look through it and you you're looking at a team that why would they be losing those games whereas this year you know nine and three eight and four either way yes eight and four looks a lot worse but you have that first-year coach leeway sure. that he yeah. gets uh, Irish benefiting in the recruiting trail with the way they're playing. Uh, big win over Clemson, five straight wins. Four-star quarterback Kenny Minchie committed on Tuesday for the incoming class of 2023. He's expected to enroll early in January. So that quarterback room is going to be – there are going to be a lot of guys because they even threw around the possibility of Tyler Buckner maybe – he basically – Marcus Freeman said this week – they don't know yet if he could be ready for a bowl game. Oh, so wow. that was interesting in and of itself. So um, I don't think he'll play, but it just makes that, that aspect entry. Then you got Pine, then you got the possibility of a, of a grad transfer coming in and compete for the job. So that's going to be a big quarterback room, and, and you ultimately try to figure out who's the guy in, in 2023. And for, and for Drew Pine, this is a big game to, to prove – you can be that guy because I think most are writing him off as the guy that shouldn't be the guy in 2020. Yeah, this is definitely a necessary win and, and good performance for Drew Pine in that campaign for a crowded quarterback room. But I think a lot of Notre Dame fans are, are happy to see some higher rated guys coming into that quarterback room and finally figure out what I think most people put as one of the biggest downsides to a Notre Dame football team the last decade or so is not necessarily that star studded quarterback. All right, uh, you know, bowl possibilities. Some people are holding out hope for New Year's Six. There's really not much of a possibility just because of which playoff games are the playoff games this year. That's the key. 
Um, it, the Peach Bowl and Fiesta Bowl are usually ones where there's there's available at-large spots. Those are the playoff games. So the, the at-large spots are, are limited. Yes, there's a remote possibility, but it's probably unlikely. Holiday Bowl on December 28th in San Diego. Cheez-It Bowl on December 29th in Orlando. Gator Bowl on December 30th in Jacksonville. Those are the most likely scenarios. All right, our poll question all year. How many wins does Notre Dame end up with? We said, what the heck? We might as well ask it again. And how about this, John? Nine wins got 81%. Eight wins got 19%. So 81% of our fan base thinks Notre Dame's beating USC. That's crazy. I, Last week, by the way, it was only 59% that thought they were going to beat both Boston College and USC. So um, people are liking what they're seeing, and that's gone up a ridiculous number. Yeah, I, I, I understand that people like what they're seeing, but I was I don't even know how to respond to that because <laughs> even if you like what you're seeing and, and – Notre Dame's been playing very well. They're facing a very good USC team that has a lot of great mismatches against where they stack up against Notre Dame. And even if you think Notre Dame will edge it out in the end, I don't know about 81% uh, chance of victory on this one. John G. wrote, this team showed us playing Clemson what they're capable of. That was a too dominant of a performance to be a fluke. This team is gaining traction and finding their identity under Freeman. I honestly think this is a 10-plus point win. For the Irish, I, I agreed with John a lot, and then he said the ten plus point. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa! All right, uh, injury updates: Isaiah Foskey, Mitchell Evans, Jason Adamiola, Brandon Joseph, all probable. Cam Hart is questionable. I'm trying to remember, but I don't think too many times that Marcus Freeman has used the word questionable, and the guys ended up playing. And at, for to not have a cornerback like that against a team like USC. That's problematic. Tobias Mayweather remains questionable in concussion protocol. USC leading rusher Travis Dye out since injuring his knee two weeks ago against Colorado. They had another guy come in last week, Austin Jones, who stepped up in a huge way, had 120 yards rushing. But I think Cam Hart, that could be that could make a difference here tonight. Yeah, and he's one of the most veteran guys in that group for Notre Dame, too. So in a close battle against someone like USC, he'd be there to pick up some of the other guys. And while Benjamin Morrison's been playing very well, He's a young player, and it could get in his head, and how having it, a guy like Cam Hart would be helpful. How did it take 23 minutes for us to mention Benjamin Morrison? Benjamin Morrison, Benjamin Morrison, Benjamin. We haven't said Michael Mayer. Michael Mayer, Benjamin Morrison. These are the guys. Not to mention Isaiah Foskey getting the well, – uh, we I, mentioned him, I, but I getting the sack record for Notre Dame as yeah, well. That's true, but I'm saying Benjamin Morrison and Michael Mayer, you need your best guys having their best games tonight. That's true. And I think that's going to be another difference in this game as well. All right, still to come, a deeper dive into the battle with USC and Marcus Freeman's high praise of USC quarterback Caleb Williams. But up next, he served as Notre Dame president from 1987 to 2005. A focus on faith you won't want to miss with Father Edward Monk Malloy. Notre Dame Federal Credit Union's Irish Sports Saturdays is back right after this. Credit scores are important to financial health. Do you know yours and how it's calculated? A poor credit score can make it hard to get a loan, a credit card, or even a job. We can help answer questions and possibly save you money. Hi, I'm Diane Freeby of Notre Dame Federal Credit Union, inviting you to schedule a free financial checkup today at NotreDameFCU.com slash elevate. You already share our values. Why not share in our benefits? Notre Dame FCU. Support for Irish Sports Saturdays comes from Tyrac. Tyrac also underwrites our internship program with students from our two Michiana Catholic high schools, St. Joseph and Marion. The students receive practical college-level internship experience and class credit as they help with our broadcast of high school basketball this winter. More tires, great prices, Tyrac.com. All right, time for Focus on Faith with Monk Malloy. Father Edward Monk Malloy served as Notre Dame president from 1987 to 2005. He came to Notre Dame to play basketball, and while hoops didn't ultimately pan out the way he envisioned, it led him to finding his calling to become a priest. He shares a great story also about his playing days in bookstore basketball, even when he was president of the university. He also reflects on how difficult it is to hire the right coach and why he feels Marcus Freeman is a great hire. An educator to his core, he's taught classes in Notre Dame before, during, and after his presidency and continues to do so to this day. He founded the Center for the Homeless here in South Bend. Here's Focus on Faith with Monk Malloy. For those that don't realize, how are you staying busy these days? Well, um, busy, busy. Uh, I'm living in Soren Hall. It's my 43rd year living in a student dorm. 
as a priest in residence. I teach a first-year undergraduate class on biography and autobiography. I serve on a lot of boards. I do substitute things for Father Jenkins, like hosting people at the top of the library if he can't do it. I go to funerals on behalf of the university if I'm asked. Uh, I'm writing a book, a book on leadership. And uh, otherwise, uh, celebrate Mass a lot and just uh, do my thing. You mentioned teaching. That's something that you've always done even when you were president. Why was that important for you to always stick to uh, teaching even when you were president, which obviously your calendar was pretty full back then? Well, I always loved teaching, and I thought it was part of the ministry of Holy Cross to do multiple things. If you had asked me to describe what is a Holy Cross priest, it's somebody who is well-educated, who uh, does multiple things simultaneously as well as he can. So most of us teach, live in a dorm, sometimes have administrative positions, get involved in activities outside of the campus. It's fun. Take us back to your childhood. You grew up in D.C. You know, what was faith like like in your house? Both of my parents were very faith-filled. They were high school educated. My mother, when she was a young girl, she had to wear some uh, things on her legs, and she was afraid she was not going to be popular as a teenager. So she went to the shrine of Our Lady of Victory in Lackawanna, New York, and left her crutches behind. She uh, prayed the rosary every day of the rest of her life. She lived to be 95, and she recited the novena of Our Lady of Victory. So that's one side. My father was involved in the Knights of Columbus. He actually integrated the Knights of Columbus in D.C. He joined the Knights of John, St. John, which was a, historically a black organi- Catholic organization, and he brought the two of them together. He was very much involved in the civil rights movement. I'm very proud of both of them. Uh, they uh, brought us up in a, a life of faith and practice. I was an altar server. I brought all of that with me to Notre Dame when I came. You mentioned integration, and you were on the first integrated basketball team in high school in the D.C. area with John Thompson, the former uh, Georgetown head coach. Uh, what was that like and that experience of being a part of that, and did that help mold you in some form to experience that you know, as a teenager? Absolutely. I grew up in a neighborhood that when I was younger was all white. I remember very vividly uh, when Elgin Baylor and his entourage used to come over to the playground I hung out after this, after civil rights laws were drafted and implemented. And when I went to Carroll, uh, the Archbishop of Washington at the time of Boyle, uh, he deliberately integrated the school when it was open four years before Brown versus the Board of Education decision. And so we always was, were an integrated school as a whole. In my team, my senior year, we had uh, three black starters, two white, we were undefeated. We were sometimes uh, jeered by black fans or white fans. We went to a suburban white high school, and after the game was over, we killed them. They said, well, you use the shower room first because we're going to uh, fumigate it before we use it. Then we would go to an all-black high school, and they, they would give a hard time to my black teammates for playing with white guys. And one of my great memories, th- there was a summer occasion when they brought teams together from New York, Philadelphia, Baltimore, and Washington, pro, college, and high school. And I was invited to play on the high school team. I was the only white person in the whole tournament. Uh, So I have a lot of memories like that, going to playgrounds all around the city. And many people adopted us. Warren Buffett was a friend of my coach, and he told me this uh, in person on, on campus. He used to go to the track with my coach once in a while. And he said to him one time, uh, if you have any money lying around, I could invest it for you. So he went to his wife, and she said, that guy never leaves the house. We're not giving him our money. So Warren Buffett says to me, you know how much money your coach would have had if he let me invest it for him? But he knew all the names of the players. He could tell you about all the big games. So he's an example of somebody who adopted us at, at a distance. And that was true all around the D.C. area. You know, I mentioned John Thompson being one of your teammates. I'm curious, who was, uh, who was the better high school basketball player, Monk Malloy or John Thompson? I think I was a better player in high school. Uh, he obviously went on to play for Providence and Boston Celtics. He didn't have a lot of fame because he played behind Bill Russell as a center for the Celtics. So his fame and uh, his impact on, on athletics was primarily through his uh, coaching at Georgetown. 
you eventually came to Notre Dame because of basketball, but maybe didn't work out the way you probably anticipated when you when you came here. Why not? Well, uh, we didn't have the talent we needed, and our co- I think our coach uh, had some issues. But I look back on it; it opened up a new world for me, and so I have no regrets. I, you know, we weren't as successful in basketball as I was in high school, but uh, it, it provided an opportunity for me to do a lot of other things, and my vocation flowed out of that time here, so I'm very grateful for that. Notre Dame President Emeritus, Father Edward Monk Malloy, joining us here on Notre Dame Federal Credit Union's Irish Sports Saturdays, our Focus on Faith interview. While that maybe didn't work out on on the basketball court for the Notre Dame team, you played bookstore basketball for, for many, many years, including when you were president. What were those experiences like, and you got a favorite memory from the bookstore basketball days? I had a bunch of nieces go, go to school here, and one year I rigged it with the, the director of, uh, of bookstore basketball, so that we could play a team. My team is called All the President's Men, and one of my nieces and her roommates, who were terrible, uh, were All the President's Women, so we played the first game together. And the first play of the game, I let her steal it, and then I pulled her sweatshirt. On the front page of the Observer was a picture of that, and on the evening news was another picture of this. They never explained that we were related, and it was all a joke, uh, so I, I, I received a little criticism for being a... A dirty player. Good thing social media wasn't around back then. That's for sure. (laughs) You mentioned your vocation starting when you became a student. When did you realize you were being called to to become a priest? Uh, Between my junior and senior year, I went on a service project to Mexico, to a place called Aguas Calientes. And we took a break about halfway through and went to a place called Cristo Rey, where there was a big statue of Christ the King. And while I was there... Everybody else was busy, and I was looking out into the distance, and I just had this moment of discernment when I felt, well, I had thought about it, but I said, yes, I think I'm called to become a priest, and I went back for my senior year, but I consulted with one of the priests that was with us and uh, applied to Holy Cross and was accepted, and everything followed from that. And everything did fall, eventually, obviously, becoming a member of the faculty and then becoming university president. Connect the dots for us. How does one go from becoming a priest, a faculty member, to university president? And did you ever see that path coming? No, I never saw the path coming. I was uh, very happy being a teacher, living in a dorm. Uh, I got tenure. I I would have done that the rest of my life very happily. And then I was invited, along with uh, two other guys, uh, Bill Beauchamp and Dave Tyson, to be part of a potential pool to replace Father Hesper. About four years and a quarter, I did that. Uh, The three of us got along very famously during that time. I remember when when I was elected that I walked back to the dorm and I thought, my life's never going to be the same again. And it was true. (laughs) Most would hate following a legend like Father Ted Hesburgh. You always embraced it. What was it about your personality, uh, maybe your faith, that allowed you to embrace what others would consider an incredible challenge? Well, first of all, Ted left the university in good shape, so I didn't have big crises to deal with. He told me, he gave me two bits of advice. Take care of your mother while she's still alive. My father was already deceased. And be yourself. And so I decided I wanted to be myself, and that's what I did. I think my athletic background had a big role because I was always, I was a leader athletically, and I was comfortable in crowds. Uh, I think my personality type is I can go into a room and I could talk to everybody in it or I could stand on the side and describe all the dynamics among the other people. So in that sense, I'm kind of in the middle. Uh, I saw it as an opportunity as a priest, as a priest president, to try and make a difference uh, in an institution that I believe deeply in its mission and its sense uh, of identity as a Catholic school. You know, one of the biggest moments of your presidency came in 1992 when the swim bus crash happened and two freshmen, Colleen Hip and Megan Beeler, died in the crash. Haley Scott DeMaria, of course, uh, severely injured. They said she was going to be paralyzed. And, you know, you went and visited her in the hospital and Haley was on our show a couple years ago and she told that story. And you asked you asked her at her bedside if if you could pray with her. And she's like, but I'm not Catholic. And you said, that's okay. Can we pray anyway? And she said that was the moment she realized she was going to be okay. What are your, your memories of, of that, 
that moment with Haley and just seeing her overcome what she overcame and maybe where that stood for you in, in your presidency. Well, in terms of a little background, I was in D.C. Uh, when, in a sleep. I got a phone call about the accident, but I couldn't come back till the next day. I came back with the director of the police security operation who happened to be in the, for another meeting. We went out to the accident scene. I went over to the health center, interacted with the students who were there and the families who had arrived. Then I went down to Memorial Hospital, and I talked to the parents, and they were fearful that Haley was going to be paralyzed the rest of her life. So with that in mind, I went in, and on the spur of the moment, you just think, what can I do? I said, I'll pray with you. They were all hoping that she'd move a finger or a toe or some indication that she might be able to bounce back. I prayed with her and for her, and uh, thank God, she. I watched all the stages, and of course her book describes all that, and she's a heroic woman, I, and I've used her book in my class a number of times, and she comes for the discussion. Father Edward Monk Malloy joining us here on Notre Dame Federal Credit Union's Irish Sports Saturdays. Football has always been a fabric of this university. I'm sure you've heard lots of lots of uh, angry emails or phone calls or mailings from people that had said over the years, you know, Monk, he, he de-emphasized football or this or that. You know, looking back on it, what, what, what's your kind of reaction to the way people reacted to, to the way football was during, during your time as president? If you know the history of Notre Dame, let's take Father Hesburgh's era. He had good years and bad years. He had coaches that succeeded and those who didn't. And uh, he intended to have a successful program. He never de-emphasized football, nor I love college football, nor did I ever intend. But picking a coach and having the right timing uh, is a very challenging uh, decision-making opportunity. And we had some good years and we had some less than good years. Uh, there's a lot of passion around Notre Dame football. Sometimes it's irrational. I fully understand that. Uh, I love to win. I hate to lose. But sometimes that's part of life. And so I never got overwhelmed by the negativity that sometimes you heard. And I love celebrating uh, football and Notre Dame and everything connected with that. Speaking of new coaches and coaching hires, what are your thoughts on, on Marcus Freeman? I think he's a wonderful hire. I had lunch with him, and then I interviewed him before the students in the dorm, and I thought he did a superb job. He's very articulate, especially related to a sense of distinctiveness in the, in the mission. And then uh, not, I had nothing to do with it. He became a Catholic, and his family's, his wife's Catholic, and his children have been raised Catholic. So for him, I think that was a very decisive moment. I uh, appreciate that. He's a great recruiter. And I think he's going to be a very successful coach. Do you have a favorite Notre Dame versus USC memory, whether it was as a student, faculty member, president, or even since uh, you've become president emeritus? We won 11 years in a row, one tie, 10, 10 victories, one tie. And they used to tell the joke about a dog that was only 10 years old and never seen Southern Cal win. <laughs> and <laughs> the year we won the national championship, I remember after the game was over, Bill Beauchamp and I are up in the press box, and somebody in their name section below us, somebody turned around, and they played that martial music all the time with that band. And so I felt like it was a Roman emperor, emperor as the, all the Notre Dame fans were cheering us <laughs> up in the press box. Hilarious. Uh, you know, Rocket Ismail, told, I, I saw an interview where he told a story where uh, he was in your first-year class, was, yeah. and... Uh, you had to cancel class because you got summoned to Rome uh, to to see the Pope. I imagine you met you've met incredible amount of famous people. I'm curious if were you ever starstruck at some point? I, I've uh, had social time with 23 heads of state uh, from different countries and a couple of different popes. One of the people that struck me the most because I introduced him was Bishop Tutu from South Africa, who won the Nobel Peace Prize. He gave a talk that was so upbeat and positive after all the experiences that he had had that that stands out in my mind because he was here and because there was such a warm and, and responsive audience. And he seemed just like a, the nicest guy in the world. What's the coolest place you ever got to visit? My, my most favorite place in terms of beauty would be the South Island of New Zealand. 
I've been to 90 countries, um, you know, a lot of business meetings, but I've also tried to take advantage of seeing the areas too. Uh, among the places I've been, there are some great contenders, but the South Island, New Zealand, which where they made the Lord of the Rings movies and the Hobbits and so on, it has such a wide variety of, of, of areas of beauty and it's easy to get to and they all speak English and so on. So I would highlight that as probably the, the most attractive place I've ever been. Finally, almost your entire adult life has been spent on this campus. What has it meant to you to be a Notre Dame mayor? I feel privileged, really, that I played a small role in the history of the institution. I've been here as a student, as a seminarian, uh, as a priest, faculty member, and pastor, as an administrator. And every one of those roles has been very satisfying and enjoyable for me. And uh, I just feel my life has been so lucky. And uh, God's blessed me by putting me here. Father Malloy, thank you very much. My pleasure. Thanks, Angela. That's former Notre Dame president, Father Edward Monk Malloy, here on Focus on Faith. Now 81 years old. He's experienced a lot. Still making new memories with all that he's doing in his life. And what a life it's been. Yeah, he has some incredible stories and uh, reason for him. A lot of time on that campus. And I just great his whole story going from coming to, to Notre Dame because of sports, finding his way to being a priest and, and leading the university, and really just the effect that he's had through all that and the amazing stories he tells. A wonderful interview right there. Yeah, and he, you know, he told that story. Haley Scott D. Maria for those uh, on the our podcast. We'll we'll post a link back to our interview with Haley Scott if you want to go back and listen to that. If you missed that from from a couple of years ago, obviously one of the the biggest moments of of his presidency. Irish Sports Saturdays is partially underwritten by Indiana Physical Therapy, serving Indiana's physical therapy needs since 1988. With 21 locations, Indiana Physical Therapy continues as an independent. Independent therapist-owned company with a heart towards patient-focused care. Indiana Physical Therapy, where people go to get better. Time for a break. When we return, it's our game day sprint to kickoff. We break down the matchup with USC. That's next on Notre Dame Federal Credit Union's Irish Sports Saturdays. Support for programming on Redeemer Radio is provided by the DeNicola Center for Ethics and Culture at the University of Notre Dame. The DeNicola Center is committed to sharing the richness of the Catholic moral and intellectual tradition, both on campus and in the wider public square. Learn more about the DeNicola Center and see our schedule of upcoming conferences, lectures, and events at ethicscenter.nd.edu. Support for Irish Sports Saturdays comes from Tony Letcher of Health Markets. Tony, a parishioner at Quinnipiac Catholic Church in Mishawaka, a licensed insurance agent. His services include Medicare, family, or individual health insurance or life insurance. His number is 855-776-2438. His website is tletcher.com. Okay, it's time for our game day sprint. Number 15, Notre Dame, 8-3 in the season at number 6, USC, 10-1 on the year. We've talked a lot about the matchup already, the history certainly uh, of the matchup. But let's talk about a little bit more in depth about USC quarterback Caleb Williams, who followed Lincoln Riley from Oklahoma to USC, Heisman contender in the 48-45 win over UCLA. He was 32 of 43, 470 yards, two touchdowns, and also rushed for a touchdown. The 503 total yards is a single-game USC record. How about these season totals? 316 yards per game, 65% completion percentage, 33 touchdown passes, only three interceptions, 88 carries, 316 yards, seven touchdowns, John. Uh, those numbers are rather ridiculous. Yeah, there's a reason he's considered highly to, to have a chance to win the Heisman Trophy this year. I mean, he's performed well every time he stepped on the field. Last week's performance just added a another level to that performance this whole season. I mean, he is third in the country in being responsible for points for the team. He's, he's responsible for over three touchdowns a game. And there's no question this USC offense runs through him. He's a playmaker. He's a fantastic football player, and he's hard for anyone to stop. I, I saw somewhere that someone said USC would be like 7-4, and 6-5 and five yeah. without him. It makes you say, again, we talk about Notre Dame and the quarterback position. If Notre Dame has Caleb Williams, they might be sitting here 11-0 right yeah. now. You know, that, that, that's how good he is. Here's Marcus Freeman on Caleb Williams. His arm strength is one thing. Um, his decision-making is another. His ability to extend plays and 
he's one of the few guys I've seen just continually, continuously break tackles, you know, and that's something that it's, it's, yeah, he can make people miss, but he breaks tackles. Guys have their hands on him and he continues to stay up and, and that can be devastating to a defense and that can make you um, try to do something outside of what your responsibility is on defense. I want to make a play. I'm going to try to rush around this guy instead of staying in my lane. You have to stay in your rush lanes, um, but you can't play cautious. And that's always the challenge. I remember having a conversation with our D-line and Coach Washington um, early in the North Carolina game after that first series when uh, May just was kind of scrambling around. I said, we're not playing spy. I don't want to just play patty cake and spy the guy. I want to rush, but we have to be in our lanes. And so that will be the challenge um, with Caleb Williams is, is one is the coverage. You know, we got to cover those wide outs and, and, and continue to mix up the coverages we play uh, against him. But two is to continue to do your job. Stay in your rush lanes. If you have an opportunity to bring them down, bring them down and, and bring your feet and don't dive. Um, but don't play spy. Um, and it's con- I like to use the term controlled aggression. You know, we have to be aggressive, but it has to be under control. Caleb Williams, not their only offensive weapon, as we talked about. Joe o- Moore Award semifinalist offensive line, which Notre Dame did not make. USC leading rusher Travis Dye out for the season with a knee injury. Austin Jones stepped in last week, had 120 yards rushing and two touchdowns against UCLA, so he's obviously good. And then their other big transfer, Jordan Addison, reigning Bolitnikoff winner while at Pitt. He had 11 catches, 178 yards, and a touchdown uh, last week after being limited because of injury. Uh, they, he's got the weapons around him that also make USC so dangerous as an offense. Yeah, the thing is there's no weakness on this offense. The offensive yeah. line is fantastic. They give Caleb Williams time in the pocket, and they make room for rushing no matter who is at running back. And then, of course, you've got those threats downfield, and you've got Jordan Addison, Taj Washington, and even Mario Williams, who's a big threat for big plays he's averaging almost 20 yards a catch and you've got to drop guys in coverage to try and help out against that deep threat and then that weakens up the the front trying to get through that offensive line and it's really just almost impossible to defend might be the best offense they face all year and that says a lot considering the fact that you face Ohio State yeah and that that does a, a way to start the season and end the season with two of the two Heisman Trophy leading candidates two of the best offenses I mean, but you can look back to Ohio State and point out they held them to 21 points. If they can do something similar against uh, against this USC offense, it could give them a chance. Yeah, and USC, incredible in turnover margin, ranked number one in the country. They've given up just four turnovers. They've forced 25, turnover margin of 21. Putting that in perspective, Notre Dame's turnover margin is zero. Obviously, it's improved a lot because they've gotten a lot of takeaways in the last few weeks, but it's at zero right now. Here's defense coordinator Al Golden and offense coordinator Tommy Reese and how critical the turnover battle will be this week. It's critical. It's critical each week. You know, um, when things weren't so good and earlier in the season, we could have helped our offense tremendously with field position or, you know, scoring. You know, we scored a couple of times. We got one taken away from us the other day. That really should have been a touch, but, um, you know, it's going gonna, it's, uh, it's gonna to be, you know, it's going to be a really, really big part of the game. And, all three phases, you know, um, for Notre Dame, you know, have to execute that, and whether it's protecting the ball or trying to take it away. You just got to have trust in your guys. You can't give them anything cheap. You know, they've got some uh, some really good plays. You know, some bad decisions on the other team's end. Um, you know, we want to stay aggressive. We're not gonna we're not gonna you know hold ourselves back with fear of turning the ball over. We just got to trust our guys, trust their preparation, and, and allow them to make the right decisions. You know. They've given up points, but a little bit of that's misleading. A lot of those points are late in games when they're up and rolling and uh, teams are kind of in two-minute mode, you know, trying to play a little bit of catch-up. So they're a talented defense, and schematically, Grinch does a really nice job. So, um, you know, we got to make sure, like I said, our details are lined up and that we're ready to go. USC has 12 different players with interceptions this year, led by defensive back Kalen Bullock with uh, four Eric Gentry, by the way, keep an eye on him. He's not got any interceptions, but the dude's 6'6 and a linebacker. So Drew Pine, if he can even throw it over the defensive line, which he struggled in on occasion, then he's got a 6'6 guy behind him. So there could be trouble in that regard, too. Not to mention Tuli Tuapolotu, who is the defensive lineman who has 11 and a half sacks on the season for USC. So it's going to be pressure, 
batted balls have been a problem. It's going to be a tough defense to play you can, against. You can score on them, but you got to be careful not to turn it over yes. in, in this game. That's going to be a huge factor. You know, what's one thing that's an advantage for Notre Dame in this game is special teams. The problem is USC doesn't punt. So yeah. if you can force them to punt, maybe you can block one because that's a strength for Notre Dame. But they don't punt. Yeah, I, you know, I don't think they punted they until to. I don't think they punted it until like a minute left in the game last week yeah. against UCLA. So they don't punt. So that's 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 a problem. How do you see what's the path to victory for Notre Dame? Well, Notre Dame obviously has to get the run game going immediately. They need offensive line moving the ball and get Estime and Diggs moving because then that can open up the passing game on offense and avoid some of those turnovers. On defense, they really have to figure out some coverage. Brandon Joseph being back will help, but they're going to have to figure out a way to cover guys downfield and force it so USC has to run it into the defensive line. If they can do that, they've got a shot. All right. I, I think they have to be even on turnovers. Yes, they don't have too. to win, but they have to be even because USC wins because they're plus in turnovers. This is their sh- one of their strengths outside of obviously Caleb Williams. You got to be even on the turnovers. They got to win special teams. I'm not saying they got to block a punt, but they got to win special teams. USC's strength is not special teams, and they got to control tempo. Yeah. They, they they just can't give. They they got to move the chains. They can't have three and outs, and they got to be able to run the ball. Oh man, we're we're out of time here, John. So give me your prediction. Well, I think ultimately Caleb Williams is going to come to play. Notre Dame's not going to be able to capitalize on every opportunity. And Notre Dame is going to fall 28 to 17 USC with the win. Wow. All right. Uh, I'm going 31 27 Notre Dame. I don't know how they pull it out, but I'm going to go 31 27 Notre Dame. That will do it for Notre Dame Federal Credit Union's Irish Sports Saturdays, Notre Dame FCU, where Ubank does matter. Thanks to our audio operator today, Zach Smith. For John Brock, I'm Angel DiCarlo. Notre Dame USC, 7.30 Eastern kickoff. You can watch nationally on ABC. One more reminder, we will not have a show the next few weeks with the regular season in the books, but be sure to join us December 31st at 9 a.m. for our bowl special edition of Notre Dame FCU's Irish Sports Saturdays. We close our show in prayer. Hi, this is Father Nate Wills. I'm a Holy Cross priest, a faculty member at Notre Dame's Alliance for Catholic Education, and one of the chaplains to the Notre Dame football team. This is a prayer that the players pray together at the end of our pregame mass. Let us pray. Grant, we beseech you, O Lord our God, that we may enjoy continual health of mind and body, and by the glorious intercession of Mary Our Lady, May we accept the joys and trials of this life and someday enter into eternal happiness. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Go Irish! This has been a presentation of Spoke Street Media and Redeemer Radio Sports. Thanks for joining us for Notre Dame Federal Credit Union's Irish Sports Saturdays. You already share their values. Why not share in their benefits? Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Enjoy today's game. This is Dr. Tom McGovern inviting you to join me and my co-hosts, Dr. Andrew Mullally and Dr. Chris Stroud for Dr. Doctor, airing Fridays at noon right here on Redeemer Radio. Together, we bring a Catholic perspective to medical issues with a focus on the dignity of the human person, body and soul. Don't miss a dose of Dr. Doctor Fridays at noon or listen anytime at spokestreet.com slash doctor. Our first high school boys basketball game comes your way this Friday when the Marion boys play host to Riley in our Hoosier Springs Spotlight game. Mary made a run all the way to the state finals a year ago, and we are excited to see what's in store this season. Join Bob Berger, our high school student interns, and me, Angel DiCarlo, for all the action. Watch on Facebook.com slash 95.7 Sports or listen on Redeemer Radio. It's Riley at Marion in the Hoosier Spring Boys Basketball Spotlight game Friday around 7.30 p.m. on 95.7 Sports.